Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Pros is made for people. Not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Chapter 35, Veritaserum. Harry felt himself slam flat into the ground. His face was pressed into grass. The smell of it filled his nostrils. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Colette Potts. And this is the best episode ever of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. We have a Harry Potter pilgrimage, everybody, that is coming up. It is at the end of August, beginning of September. It is in Yorkshire. It is going to be co-led by me and... Me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to be so fun. And we're going to be talking about the theme of wandering, which is our theme today. And we're just very excited about that. And now it's my job to introduce Colette Potts, licensed family therapist... She has worked in a myriad of settings, including creating an incredible curriculum for the Episcopal Church called Love First. She's also the director of our new chaplaincy program, which you all will be hearing about more soon, and has been on many pilgrimages with me serving as chaplain. She also has the distinct honor of being one of my best friends. Colette, welcome to your first episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is very exciting. This is very exciting. I've seen Matt in the closet for years, and now here I am in my own closet. (laughs) Is it everything you thought it would be and so much more? Yeah. (laughs) 
This is great. <laughs> That's the only answer. Great. Yeah. Colette, I just want to tell people about our Every Flavored Bean perk before I ask you to tell the story. I don't know if you know this, but today's Every Flavored Bean conversation is going to be you telling a story about the meanest thing you've ever done to me, which is I know bake a cake. <laughs> so I'm just going to make Colette confess publicly to this really mean thing she did to me as our every flavored bean so everyone tune in for that you can <laughs> sign up at patreon.com slash harry potter secret text colette you are bringing us a story this week on the theme of wandering what story do you have for us well the story i want to tell um happened maybe 25 years ago so i studied abroad in france when i was in college it was 1999, and at the same time, my brother was a Peace Corps volunteer in Moldova, which is east of Romania, part of the old Soviet bloc. And at the time, no one knew where Moldova was. And to put this in context, so 1999, the internet was still pretty young. And when I went to France, I had a new thing called Hotmail, and you could check your email. <laughs> you didn't have to be at home at your own computer to check your email. This was like a big deal. You did have to wait in line to get into a computer lab. You had to wait for the dial-up. So, like, it still wasn't easy, but it was amazing. You could check your email. My brother also could check his email and write email in Moldova. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he had to, like, travel on a bus into the main city. And if they had electricity and if they had internet, he also could send and receive email. So I had a spring break coming up. It was April. And I really wanted to visit my brother. So I wrote to my brother. I said, I'd really like to come visit you. And he's like, okay, I'm sure I roll, I rolls come through on Hotmail. <laughs> and I was like, I'll just get myself to Moldova. And he was like, no, you're not. We'll meet in Budapest. Budapest is halfway. We'll meet in Budapest. Okay. So he says, okay, when does your spring break start? It starts April 23rd. He said, okay, it'll take you a day to get to Budapest-ish. So... April 24th, meet me in Budapest. I'll let you know more later. Like, okay. Well, later never came, and I don't know why. I don't know if he couldn't get to the internet cafe. I don't know if Moldova is like now part of the Soviet Union. And I don't know. I'm like, okay. I make my way to Budapest. It's April 24th. I've got the two pieces of information that I have from Jake, which is country, city, date. Uh-huh. Budapest. Uh-huh. And do you remember when we used guidebooks? I do. Guidebook, right? Did it teach you Serbus? No. That, that's hello. No. It taught me to ask a friendly person, like, hey, <laughs> like, how do I get to... I had no idea where I was going, Vanessa. I had no idea. Like, he didn't tell me where to meet him. He just said Budapest, which it turns out is a very large city <laughs> with very few English-speaking people. And so I arrive in Budapest, I've got my guidebook, and I open it up, and I'm like, where would Jake stay? (gasps) Which one of these places? So I know a lot about my brother. I know he's not going to stay in anything that's expensive. He's going to stay in cheap places. It's got to be as rustic as possible. So I had to, like, read through all of these lodging entries to see, like, which one, where might my brother be? So I find what I think is a place where I think Jake would go. I find someone who speaks some English 
And I'm like, can you help me get to this place? And he's like, sure. Is your brother going to be there? And I was like, I think so. I don't know, but I'm going to go. So we walk, we walk. This is like a half mile, mile walk. I don't know. I literally have no idea where we are. He takes me to this place and he says, good luck. I'm like, okay. So I walk into this youth hostel, this inn. I don't know. I walk in and the guy at the front desk says, are you Colette? And I said, yes. Oh my God. Was Jake here? And he says, hold on. I have a note for you. I kid you not. (laughs) I have a note for you from your brother. And it says, this place was full. Here's where I am. And he gives me an address. And I was like, (laughs) yes, this was all worth it. Like I am winning. He is going to be so impressed. Like my whole job as a little sister is to impress my big brother. And I'm like, he's going to be so impressed. So I go, I, this guy who's standing outside, the Hungarian, very nice Hungarian, who's probably like, she's never going to find her brother. I was like, oh my God, I know where he is. Can you get me to this place? So I go there. I see my brother. And I expect him to be like, you are awesome. None of that. But he's there. We don't speak about this amazing feat. Until the day of my wedding. When Jake toasts me, he said, he talks about how dependable Colette is, and he tells a story. I told her, meet me in Budapest, and I knew she'd make it. And I was like, oh my God, he loves me. He doesn't hate me. So I tell this story about meet me in Budapest, and I tell it to young like Harvard kids who are here, who can't like fathom not having like the internet, not having a smartphone, not having GPS. And I was like, they're like, how did you know? (laughs) I was like, I mean, I didn't, (laughs) to be clear. I didn't, I just felt like I didn't have a choice. And I I knew I would get there. I'm still that way today. Like Mm -hmm. I'm gonna get lost along the way. This happens all the time, but I just know I'm gonna get there because I don't give up. I think that this is a great story. I decided to take upon myself doing Etymology Corner for this week's episode. I decided to step into... Someone's got to do it. Yeah, into the Reverend Dr. Matthew Potts's shoes. And it comes from the Middle English, which comes from the Old French. So perfect. You'll probably know this as someone who studied abroad in France in 1999. Whose name is Colette. We. It used to just mean a day's travel, a day's work. And then the Latin meant a day's portion. Mm. And I love that it now means this kind of circuitous path because the idea that it just used to mean, like, we never know where we're going. This is just a day's work. You wander. And, like, we all now know that we just wander around our houses because we work from home. But we're all just looking for Jake. (laughs) With very little information, and it's just a day's work. And your day's work, I think, has a slightly higher level of difficulty than other people's day's work. Now, with smartphones and, you know, find my friend and all dropped pins. Yeah. But for you in this moment, this was like you were wandering around in a huge city, not having the information, but it was also just a day's work. Yeah. I like that. But it seems more purposeful. I think, you know, people have accused me probably for about 20 years of my life of just wandering, you know, this idea of wanderlust, like you have, you're aimless. Mm-hmm. 
it's not nice. <laughs> Nobody ever said it. Like, wow, you're, you really have purpose. You really have direction. Yeah. It made me feel like I should have direction and I don't. So I love this idea of like, wandering is hard work. It's really hard work. And the idea of a destination is false. We never arrive, right? So even people who are like, feel as though they're on a journey to go somewhere, they're also just doing a day's work. It's These are all just stories we tell ourselves. Mm -hmm. Well, Colette, we are now going to wander our way through a 30-second recap. Mm. Okay. I'm looking forward to this. I will go first. Can you please count me in? Three, two, one, go! So Harry is back and there's a lot of chaos and Cedric is dead and he gets pulled away and Dumbledore is like, don't pull him away. But he does anyway. And he gets into this room with Mad-Eye Moody and Harry is like, this is weird. And he's like, I'm the bad guy. And then it turns out that it's Barty Crouch Jr. And then Dumbledore comes in and they give Crouch Veritaserum and he slowly starts turning away from Moody. And he tells this whole story about how he ended up in this situation that he really serves Lord Voldemort more than anyone. And he set up this whole situation so that Harry could get to Voldemort and Voldemort could kill him. I missed a few things. Like he murdered his father. Uh, yes. I know. I had forgotten about that. Yeah. Okay. Three, two, one, go. Okay. So Harry hears, uh, no, no. Moody tells the story. Okay. I'm going to pick up where Moody. Okay. Moody starts telling him about this big, long, meandering story about how he's been working the whole book for 34 chapters on trying to get Harry to the end of the Triwizard Cup, zigging, zagging, uh, you know, giving a, a book to, to Neville and, you know, doing something with the elves. And he's working really, really hard to do kind of a simple thing that he probably could have done in chapter six if he really wanted to, but he decides to spread it out over so many chapters. <gasps> Wait a minute. Is that over? Is 30 seconds yes. over? No. Yeah. That's okay. You did great. So, Colette, I think that the most obvious place of wandering in this chapter is in the story that Barty Crouch Jr. tells Dumbledore and Harry and everyone else in the room about how he got Harry to Voldemort. He has heard from Voldemort that Voldemort wants to kill Harry near his dad's gravestone so that he can have all the ingredients to be re-embodied. But this is like a very wild way to get this child to a gravestone, right? Like getting him into the Triwizard Tournament and like, yeah, this is a lot of work. It's it's too much work. <laughs> I'm a fan of efficiency and I feel like Barty Crouch, this is not efficient. I mean, he's obviously very smart. He's obviously very dedicated to the mission, but kind of some dumb ideas. It's done, but it works, right? It, like, does get Harry to Voldemort. This is true. But every time, like, along the way, when something isn't working, he's got to sort of improvise and, like, okay, get the book where it's supposed to be and get this person where this, get Harry the information that he needs, give Cedric some information that he knows Harry will get eventually through. So it just seems like, really? Pretend to be moody and pretend to have a fight with trash can lids and keep moody yes. in his own trunk but alive yes it really bothered me on this reading i was like i really don't understand i tried to do some like magical you know thinking of 
okay, maybe port keys don't work on Hogwarts campus and they are only working on Hogwarts campus on this day because all sorts of magical protections have been lifted because of the Triwizard Tournament, right? Like I was trying to get like really litigious. You're such a forgiving reader. (laughs) I'm a very impatient reader. I'm a very impatient person. And so that comes through when I'm reading and I'm like, I just... I think there could have been an easier way to do this. And so I was like, is this a J.K. Rowling thing? Is this just Barty Crouch? I don't know. I mean, just think about how he orchestrated his move out of prison. You know, like, that is also wild. But maybe this is just Barty. But I also think it's Jesus in the wilderness. It's the Jews having to wander for 40 years to get from Egypt to Canaan, right? Like, God is able to you know, split the Red Sea in two in order for them to escape the Egyptians. And yet, right, I'm just going to Google Maps this real quick. Yes, it takes six days to walk from Cairo to Jerusalem, but it took the Jews wandering in the desert for 40 years. And the reason that I was taught that as a kid is that God didn't want Jerusalem to be founded by slaves. He didn't Mm. want people with an enslaved mindset to be the founders of a country. He wanted their children to be the Mm. founders of a country, people with like a profound understanding of liberation and freedom. And I don't know, right? Like that seems like um, that could be done easier, God. This is true. So now do you think Barty was like, hey, I am going to take this nice and slow. I'm not rushing. I'm taking time with this thing. This thing is so important and I'm just going to do it right. And I also wonder, like, did Voldemort choose Barty Crouch? And if so, did he just know like this guy's going to get it done? Is there something about about it being Barty? I could not do this job. I don't know. That's not what the opening story taught me. <laughs> But just like Barty looks like he's like, you know what? Got my eye on the prize and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to there will be stumbling blocks along the way. And I'm going to figure it out because I know where I'm going. And like the journey is its own beautiful thing. It's own beautiful thing. Or if you're Voldemort giving this order, I'm just thinking this through live with you right now. He wants to be as strong as possible before he has this spell done. And so maybe he wants someone on the case but kind of wants to slow roll it so that he can get strong in the meantime, right? Like there are all sorts of reasons why you want something, but you kind of want it to go slowly. Oh, I like that. I was raised with the expression slow is fast and fast is slow. My mom would say it to me like if I was trying to get dressed really fast, she was like, you're going to rip that and then you're going to have to change outfits and then we're going to have to sew it. Like, please, even though you're in a rush, go slowly because that is actually faster. And so I think there's something about that. Like this is going to actually happen if we do this slowly and Mm -hmm. deliberately. Right. So the worst thing to happen, right, is that he messes up, that Barty Crouch spoils the whole plan and does not get Harry to where he needs to be. Even worse is raising the alarm bells that Voldemort is back and everybody starts protecting Harry even more. And people go on the prowl for Voldemort while he's weak and has the body of a baby. Mm -hmm. And you get Cornelius Fudge to believe it now when Voldemort is beatable, right? Like, 
There are a lot of reasons to take everyone on this journey. Like, it works. Voldemort rises and Cornelius Fudge does not believe that he has risen. Right. So now this makes me think of just, you know, being accused of a wanderer for, you know, 20 years of my life. Like, how do you know? You don't know where I'm going. You don't know my intentions. I have not shared everything with you. Like, we're looking back at the, you know, Barty Crouch's story and we're saying like, wow, he must have been wandering his way through when maybe not. I'll say this. The moment that my dad accused me of wandering was when I decided to go to divinity school, even though I went to undergrad to become a teacher. I then went to grad school for nonprofit management so I could work in education, nonprofit stuff. And then he was like, and now you're giving up this career. And he really was big on opportunity cost, right? He was like three years in school. I got a scholarship. So I was like, dad, I'm living in the dorms. I'm not paying anything to be here. Like, And he was like, well, you're losing. I was making $70,000 a year at the time, right? So he's like, you're losing $210,000 in income. And it's not like you're going to make that up by being a chaplain. And I think that it's capitalism that sort of infects our brains in that way where you're like, well, you're losing time. Time is money Mm -hmm. is the other expression that we have, right? Mm -hmm. And I would argue that I was working towards something really wonderful and I love my life and my company and, you know, and I'm really glad I took the circuitous career where like the career that I hope lasts for 30 years only really started in my mid-30s rather than my early 20s like other Mm -hmm. people. But I I wonder, like, the wandering when it comes to, you know, life choices. Did I know where I was going? Did you know where you were going, Vanessa? Like, I thought I was going to become a hospital and prison chaplain, and instead I'm sitting in a closet talking to one of my best friends about Harry Potter. So Yeah, I don't think I really knew where I was going. I was waiting for signs. I was waiting for, you know, windows to open, doors to open, things like that. I was just, I, I couldn't make sense of it, you know? It wasn't like a a wonderful, beautiful plan. I was like, I also want to be financially independent, Dad. <laughs> I also yeah. want that. It's a, it's where capitalism and idealism intersect, right? Because I was like, yeah, I could have done a job early on, made the money, got my benefits. But I was like, didn't feel good. I, I have to pursue some other thing. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Prose is made for people not hair and skin types, personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. 
And so I used the review and refine feature and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Colette, I think another thing that we see in this chapter reminds me of like the adults in our lives who are trying to get us to like hurt us in certain ways. There's this moment where everybody's saying to Harry, like, go to bed. Let's go to the hospital wing. And Harry's like, yes, (laughs) like the hospital wing. My leg is still broken. I am very tired. And Dumbledore says no, right? Like, Your journey is not over. Your day's work is not over because understanding is going to be helpful to you. And I'm wondering if you think that's helpful (laughs) as someone who's like resented people saying you're journeying. If someone were to say to you, actually, your journey's not over. You have more work to do. And I understand Dumbledore's reasoning, right? He's like, We're about to get this full confession from Bridie Crouch Jr. Harry, you went through this horrible trauma. You can hear the firsthand account of why it happened the way that it did and everything that happened to you. And it's actually a shift in Dumbledore's mindset, right? Dumbledore has always really tried to control the information that Harry gets and doesn't get. Mm -hmm. But in this scene, he's like, I don't know what Barty Crouch Jr. under Veritas Serum is about to say, but you stay here and hear everything. There's like a real letting go of control on Dumbledore's side. So yeah, he's doing this thing that you and I resent, but do you think it's the right thing to do in this context? Well, I don't believe that Dumbledore doesn't know what's going to come out. You know, I don't know. I assume like Dumbledore knows yeah. everything, but may- maybe what we know is that Dumbledore knows nothing. The thing I like about this is that this is the first time where I feel like Harry's actually treated like a 14-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. I think 14 is an, it's just an age where like, you know, Harry's starting to look more like a young man and less like a boy. He's starting to behave more like a young man and less like a boy. Well, maybe that's not true. Um, 14 is tricky. But, like, that is something that adults are always having to deal with with kids this age. Like, how much do I share? How much do I protect them? Like, my end goal is to keep them safe, but sometimes it's keeping them out of harm's way, and sometimes it's teaching them what to do when you are in harm's way. And I, so I think this is the one thing that I actually like that Dumbledore does, like, I know, Harry, you would like to go to sleep. I know you would like to go get treated for all of your, you know, every terrible thing that has happened to you and the way you're feeling right now. You need rest. But I also want to give you some information because I think I think it will be helpful to you. It's it's the first thing that I think Dumbledore does, which is treating Harry in an age-appropriate manner. Yeah. And, like, the adult's job is to sort of call it for the kid be like nope Mm -hmm. your day is done no more wandering today stopping right and molly will see in the next chapter is like can we freaking leave him alone like let him rest yeah and madame pomfrey is like nope his journey is over we are giving him a sleeping draft right like but dumbledore is like sorry sorry y'all it's not over yet 
my sister-in-law, Suzanne, I've told the story on the podcast before. She made me a playlist for a half marathon that I ran. And it was just so thoughtful. She had a lot of my friends pick songs and she would tell them where I was going to be in my race based on my pace. And so she was like, pick a song, like based on the fact that she'll be on mile nine. And so, and she had people record little voicemails of like, hey, like you're here. I know it was so, so sweet. You're hearing it, like just go nice and slow and steady and you're doing great. And then Kim, my oldest friend, (laughs) had the Chariots of Fire soundtrack play for the last five minutes. And when she she was like, babe, sprint, go. Like, just leave it all on the field and run. <laughs> and, and, like, I was listening to da, 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 you know, like, as did I was you like, sprint? I can't You're like, okay, do it. Kim, yeah. Yes, it really did, right? And, but of course, if I had like broken my ankle in the middle of the race, right? Like, I would have thrown those headphones off and a medic would have come and been like, yes, sit, stay. <laughs> Right. And so there is this like you need people cheering you on in certain moments and then you need to like throw the headphones off. And Dumbledore in this moment is like, sorry, you can't throw your headphones off. This like isn't a safe place to get off the race, Mm -hmm. even though it hurts. You've just got to keep going. And yeah, like sometimes those people are wrong and you're like, no, the injury actually was bad enough. I should have stopped. (laughs) But other times you're like, no, I am in danger. Like this hostel is full. I have to go to the next hostel and keep trying to find Jake. There are no beds here. Right. And like knowing when is so hard. Yeah. And being open to the idea that you might be wrong. Right. I mean, in this moment, Dumbledore is like, okay, truth is going to come out. And Harry probably is not sure what the truth is, who's telling the truth. And so we want him, we want him to hear it and know that 100, it's 100% true. This is a good thing for, for Harry. Harry's tired. Harry's traumatized. Harry's been through a lot, but there's something we think he's going to gain by staying here, by stopping his, like, you know, the wandering is not over. The journey is not over. You still have something to learn. Yeah, and I I think that's that's a great adult. That's that's good adulting, right? That's good parenting mm-hmm. is to say like I know every part of you wants to stop. But I, I you got to keep going. You got to keep going, right? Actually, this reminds me a lot of uh anxiety in parents, <laughs> you know, kids wanting to stop like this makes me feel anxious. I'm uncomfortable and just wanting to put the brakes on stuff. Avoid things that are uncomfortable, avoid things that make them feel terrible. And parents want then they don't want their kids to feel uncomfortable. But you're like, you got to do it. It's actually better to keep going. When we do vaccinations, there's a lot of crying and screaming. Yeah, exactly. The kids are like, stop the journey. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting off the bus. (laughs) You need a second dose. Your journey's not over. So Colette, it is now time for us to do our spiritual practice, and we are going to do our beloved Lectio Divina. Yay, it's my favorite. Okay, I've picked a sentence at random, and here we go. Okay. He became a bone. I buried it while wearing the invisibility cloak. 
in the freshly dug earth in front of Hagrid's cabin. Oh. <laughs> so step one, the question is literally what's happening here. Without the context, do you want to start? Do you know? Yeah. Barty Crouch is explaining like what he did to his dad after he murdered him. Turned him into a bone. Confessing to the murder. Confessing (laughs) to the murder of his father. Turned him into a bone, buried him. I don't don't know why he did that. Is there something I'm missing? Like, why why did he turn him into a bone? Because it's easier to bury a bone than a a big body? Yeah. Couldn't he that turned him into like a teacup or something? Well, we know that transfiguration is easier if you turn someone, if you turn one thing into something kind of similar, right? Like a hedgehog into a pin cushion. And so a body into a bone, like, is kind of close to a human. It's so interesting that he uses the language, he became a bone. Like, he did not become a bone. You turned him into a bone. Yeah. Well, maybe he didn't know. Maybe he was like, I'm going to throw a lot at this. You know, I'm not I'm not sure what's going to happen to my dad's body. I'm just going to do all kinds of spells. And the one that stuck was the bone. He became a bone. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that is interesting about this, right? He's wearing an invisibility cloak. But also, again, someone is like a little bit maybe framing Hagrid. Like, not even intentionally framing Hagrid, but not being concerned that Hagrid might be found guilty of something again and go to Azkaban for no reason again. Mm. Mm. There's still a profound lack of concern for Hagrid's well-being. Yeah. You don't think that he buried him there because that's where his dad would want to be buried? No. No. <laughs> okay. There's freshly dug earth there, right? Hagrid is like planting something. This is true. Is it in his garden? I I don't know. The freshly dug earth in front of Hagrid's cabin. It's bleak. That's bleak. That That's, yeah. Ugh. Okay, step two. What other stories does this remind us of? Movies, songs, books, myths. He became a bone. I buried it while wearing the invisibility cloak in the freshly dug earth in front of Hagrid's cabin. Oh, I immediately went to Pet Cemetery. More bleakness. <laughs> Just thinking about like... <laughs> Explain to people what Pet Cemetery is. <laughs> Not everyone is as old as you. Oh my gosh. Pet Cemetery. I think it's a Stephen King novel turned into a movie where mm-hmm. someone's pet dies. And if you bury it in the Pet Cemetery, it will come back to life. But it comes back as like a much more evil version. And so I just, anytime I think of like burying something smaller than a human body... I always think of Pet cemetery. So uh, small animals, bones that used to be human, you know, full human bodies. I always <laughs> just think of this scene in Pet cemetery, which is just very, and it reminds me a lot of Hagrid's castle. I imagine it being dark. I imagine it's, uh, everything is freshly turned over because people's pets die a lot. And so that's what I'm thinking. Fascinating. I love that because Barty Crouch Sr. is going to keep haunting us, right? Yeah. He became a bone. I buried it while wearing the invisibility cloak. I mean, it reminds me of like many episodes of Grey's Anatomy, but in one in particular, which is when 
in I think the very first season, we're with these very young interns who are learning how to be surgeons. And there's this episode where George O'Malley has a person who arrives in the ambulance is dead, and his mentor, Dr. Bailey, keeps making him do every test and try to save this person. And then at the end of the episode, he has to go and tell this person's loved one that he lost the patient. And he's like, oh, this is why we try everything. So I can say to this person, we tried everything we could. Mm. And at first, this body arrives and it is very clearly a dead body to him. But then the patient becomes someone's loved one. Mm. And like through this journey, you're like, oh, right. This isn't just a dead body. This is a person who I have to like treat with the the most honor possible. Mm. Step three, Colette, is what does this remind you of in your own life? I will read this one more time. He became a bone. I buried it while wearing the invisibility cloak in the freshly dug earth in front of Hagrid's cabin. So I'm really stuck on the invisibility cloak. Listeners probably know I'm a mom because I know Matt talks a lot about the kids. And I'm a woman, so... Even though Matt and I try to not slip into these gendered roles, like I end up doing a lot of invisible work um, around the house, in the kids' schools, just, you know. I'm always thinking of just, I feel like it should be noticeable. Vanessa, as you know, I run around the house. I run to the car. I run into Target. I run upstairs. Um, so it should not be invisible. I'm I'm sort of loud. I'm like a bull in a china shop, you know? So I'm like clanking dishes and things. I'm not very quiet under that invisibility cloak, but I do sometimes think that um, a lot, I don't sometimes think it's it's just a known thing that a lot of women's work is invisible. Yeah. The thing that I'm really stuck on is this, he became a bone. Mm-hmm. I am someone who like, I shower regularly, but I only do what I call a deep clean, like once a week, you know, where I like, wash my hair and condition my hair and scrub behind my ears and clean under my fingernail, like deep clean. And that might be disgusting that I only do that once a week, but... I know. It's disgusting that I don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) But I only do that about once a week. And when I do it, I run around the house like a proud child, like... Ask me if I'm clean between my toes. I am. Ask me if I'm clean behind my ears. I am. And I've like become a transformed person. I am clean, Vanessa. And like every member of my family has a different response. Peter will be like, and look how long your hair looks. And I'll be like, I know, right? And Ellen gets excited about the fact that she can paint my nails again. Anyway, I clean Vanessa is a different person. Okay, what does this make you feel called to in your own life? He became a bone. I buried it while wearing the invisibility cloak in the freshly dug earth in front of Hagrid's cabin. I've been thinking about this for a long time, but I, I think I need to share more of the duties with the people that I live with. Right. I mean, the last thing I I know, I got kind of stuck into this role and probably because I'm better at it than my roommates, but they're never going to get good at it if they don't learn how to do it. And also, I don't want to raise the kind of kids who think it's mom's job to, you know, find your baseball sock or, you know, clean up your dishes or do things like that. So I think I'm going to make a chore chart. 
<laughs> implement a new <laughs> <Wow>. system. <laughs> what does this passage make you feel called to do? I think it makes me feel called to not be afraid of freshly dug earth. Hmm. I have my routines and I don't like change. I don't like change. I'm like, no, no, I'm still wandering in that 40-year desert. Please leave me alone. I don't even want to arrive yet. But, you know, you need to freshly dig earth. So whatever that means, I think, yeah, I think that I need to be less scared of change. Mm -hmm. Well, Colette, thank you so much for doing your first sacred reading practice as a guest on this podcast. You did so good. Oh, thank you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com This week's voicemail is from Megan. Hi, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. Uh, my name's Megan. My pronouns are she, her. In the conversation around comfort for Book 4, Chapter 33, you were discussing uh, how to provide comfort for people who have done harmful things, like Barty Crouch Jr. when he's on trial, without condoning their actions. Um, and it reminded me of one of the phrases that Dylan Marin uses a lot in his podcast called Conversations with People Who Hate Me, uh, where he talks to people who have written mean comments about him on the internet. It's great podcast. Everyone should should check it out. Um, but one of his taglines is empathy is not endorsement. Um, and I think that's a great, super useful little mantra um, to get that point across and can be you know, really helpful when we do things like sacred imagination and empathize with people or characters who do really bad things that we definitely don't want to endorse. Um, but they're they're still humans with feelings and have the capacity for change um, so that that empathy is is there. Thank you so much. Megan, thank you so much for that voicemail. I I love that, that mm. empathy is not endorsement. I was just thinking about that recently. I was on jury duty and I had to have a conversation with the judge in order to be dismissed where I said that I was a prison abolitionist. And he said, what do you think should happen to criminals? And I was like, 
I believe in accountability. I just do not think our prison system is what that accountability should look like, right? And that having the empathy, believing that somebody should not be incarcerated in our current prison system does not believe that I am endorsing their behavior. And so I really appreciate, I wish I had had that phrase in my pocket to say to that judge, be like, well, I'm empathizing. I'm not saying I'm glad that they did this thing. Yeah, and it just like allows us to humanize people in an important way. So thank you so much for teaching us that. I love that, and I've actually not heard that before. Empathy is not endorsement. This comes up a lot in you know my therapy, mm-hmm. just therapy sessions where um, people are mistreating one another or doing things that are just obviously harmful, and you want to just as a therapist, you know, build on your rapport because that's an important part of therapy and doing the work. Um, and how do you do that? How do you empathize with people who are hurting when they're hurting other people too? And so just this reminder that you can be empathetic without endorsing their behaviors. I think that's very helpful. I think I need to, to remember that. So thank you, Megan. It's now time for us to remember members of our community who have been loved and lost. Janet Wagner, who was 81, a trailblazing histologist, lifelong learner, grandmother, and best friend. Tyson Hathcock, who was 23, the chubbiest baby that made our listener's sister a mother and aunts and uncles of nine siblings, was the last to laugh at his own jokes and is beloved and achingly missed by all. Colette Bissieu, who was 96, the most wonderful grandmother and is now reunited with the love of her life. and Camille, an inspiration cold water swimmer who is tenacious. May their memories be a blessing to us all. Colette, it's now time for us to offer blessings to characters in this chapter. Who would you like to bless? I would like to bless the witnesses to those who saw Cedric's body. There's a trauma to having an experience that happens to you, and there's also a trauma of witnessing something that happens to someone else and just just imagining those people in that moment. And so I just want to bless them for what they've seen and how that's going to impact them and just send some love their way. Vanessa, who would you like to bless? I want to bless Winky in this chapter She is trying to stop something that can't be stopped. Barty Crouch Jr. has been given Veritaserum. He has no choice but to give a complete confession. And he is indicting, like, her former boss who she loved. And he is indicting himself. And it is just causing so much pain to her. And I feel like we've all had moments of that desperation where, like, you just can't stop this thing that you desperately want to stop. Whatever that is, you know, someone getting sicker, an exam that's coming for you that you're not ready for, you know, there are all sorts of things. But this helplessness of Winky really broke my heart. So I want to bless anyone who feels as though they are helpless in a situation and offer you a moment of 
care. Colette, next week, I will be talking to Matt. In the closet. Right yeah. here. We'll be reading book four, chapter 36, The Parting of the Ways through the theme of teamwork. It was an honor and such a pleasure to talk about <laughs> wandering with you. I can't wait to do it in Yorkshire reading book seven. We're going to have so much fun expanding on this conversation. Yeah. And we've it's a place we've already been, right? Yeah. But we've been in the rain in the spring. This is going to be late summer gorgeousness. Oh, yeah. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Please join me and Colette on this incredible pilgrimage coming up. You can find out more about that by going to readingandwalkingwith.com. And of course, we want to remind you that you can get ad-free episodes on Apple Podcasts, everyone. This was a Not Sorry production. We are a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Caitlin Hoffmeister. We are edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. This week, we would like to thank Celeste Hart's podcast, D. Winky Face, Color Anassis, Stubba Zubba, Malika G, and A4 Fan for their very generous Apple Podcast reviews. We are so grateful to you. It really does help people find us, and then more people get to listen to me talking about cleaning between my toes. We would like to thank Megan for this week's voicemail, Lara Glass, Ariana Nettleman, Julia Argy, Margaret H. Wilson, Nikki Zoltan, Hannah Rehack, Courtney Brown, Casper Trakyle, Stephanie Paulsell, everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones, and Colette Potts. <laughs> Thanks, Vanessa. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Colette Potts. Oh, you're also married to Matt Potts. Mm-hmm. I am. The, like, the at, the, at, the t- at the time of taping, we were married. <laughs>